If you would, please turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to 1 Peter. I'm going to be starting a new series in the book of Philippians, I think probably early in September, maybe after Labor Day, and before then I'm going to be preaching topically, and some of those topical sermons will all be exegetical sermons, you understand, but topically um, will probably follow mostly the fear of God theme, but we'll preach some other texts as well, just as we all settle back in again before the end of the summer holidays, so you don't miss the start of a new series in the evening. With the Word of God open, let's read together First Peter. And I'm going to read most of this first chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, to result in, sorry, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel, sorry, the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this is the passage we'll be looking at specifically this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were transformed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of God 
endures forever. Well, the times, as Bob Dylan once famously remarked, are changing. It's hard to escape the sense that you and I are living in a new America, one with armed IRS agents ready to use deadly force to make sure you've paid your fair share, one with ruling blackouts in the summer in California and Texas, because while our energy is increasingly green, it's also apparently increasingly ineffective. Reminds me of the old story about the wooden car. You had a wooden steering wheel and wooden seats and a wooden engine and a wooden gas tank and wooden wheels, and it wouldn't go. (laughs) Which reminds me, in the great state of eastern uh, China, otherwise known as California, by by the year 2035, we're now told you can have any car you want as long as it's electric. Almost as much choice as Mr. Ford gave us all those years ago. But nonetheless, we live in a new world, but it's, it's also a new world not just of inflation and rising taxes and other problems, um, but a new world that's increasingly hostile to the Christian gospel. Uh, We're seeing and witnessing the slow erosion of our freedom of speech, our freedom of conscience, our freedom of worship, our freedom of enterprise, and our freedom, it seems, to buy gas-powered cars. And the question comes, I think, or it should be coming to you and to me, how are we going to cope? Um, In a world where Christian parenting is called intellectual child abuse, where it's not too hard to see down in the future uh, a time when a government might say, if you're not willing to give your children puberty-blocking hormones that have irreversible effects upon your child's growth, that you can no longer look after your children. Um, They're very confused about what is a woman, but they're quite certain about that. And so we ask ourselves the question, how am I going to cope? How how am I going to live in such a time? And one of the encouraging things about the New Testament when you read it is you discover very quickly that the saints of the New Testament lived in just exactly the same kind of time that we are living in ourselves, a time of increasing state-sponsored persecution and also local discrimination and prejudice and attack against the Christian faith and the Christian message. And Peter writes his first epistle essentially uh, to tell us how to endure such hardship, how to live as exiles in this world. And I want to draw your attention to it this morning. Now, these verses from verse 12 down to, or sorry, verse 13 down to verse 19, you'll see there's a kind of a, a barrage of imperatives. Prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Be holy in all your conduct. Um, And then in 17, the climactic imperative, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of 
your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So how do you live in these uncertain times, hostile to the gospel? And Peter has four things to say. First of all, be thoughtful. Set your mind, sorry, prepare your minds for action, verse 13. Then secondly, be hopeful. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, be careful. Don't be conformed to your lusts, your indulgent, ignorant ways that you used to have, but rather be transformed. Be holy as your Father's holy. Be careful that you go the right way, you might say. And then lastly, yes, you've guessed it, be fearful. Uh, Conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. Be thoughtful, be hopeful, be careful, be fearful. Let's work our way through these passages, these points this morning now. First of all, be thoughtful. Prepare your minds for action. Uh, Sorry, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The, the, the language, prepare your minds for action, you probably know the famous King James translation of that, the gird up the loins of your mind. The, the Greek word carries the idea of a man in his long, flowing Middle Eastern dress, and of course, his robes inhibit him running, maybe to catch an errant goat, or fighting in a battle, and so he would tie up his... his um, dress, if you like, tuck it into his belt and make a set of impromptu pantaloons and uh, be able to run. And Peter says, I want you to do that with your mind. Prepare your mind for action. And being sober-minded, it's, the, it's an idea of a person being sobered up um, you might remember the John Wayne movie, El Dorado, whenever they go to the town, and the, um, Dean Martin is the sheriff who's become an alcoholic because of his love life, which was in decline. And uh, they're trying to sober him up because there's a bunch of bad men and a very fast gunfighters come into town to kill Dean Martin, and John Wayne's come to help the day. And he brings in tow James Caan and this old engine fighter. And it, it all begins to go from bad to worse. And John Wayne says, how do we sober him up? And uh, what's the fastest way to sober him up? And the engine fighter said, a bunch of engines out for hair will do it faster than anything I know. Um, Dean Martin needed to be sobered up to be gripped by right reason, right? And Peter's saying that if you are to survive life in a hostile world. You've got to have your head on straight. You can't be panicking. You can't be gripped by unruly, irrational passions and fears. You've got to have your head on straight. Gird up the loins of your minds, being sober-minded. What's that mean? Well, it means you've got to learn to apply the gospel to your mind, that the Christian life 
And the battle of the Christian life is first and foremost a battle of the Christian mind. So much of the vices and instabilities of the Christian life flow from a disordered mind, a chaotic mind, an undisciplined mind. As, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones famously observed, our problem in life far too often is that we listen to ourselves. We should be talking to ourselves. The background track of our mind is often full of fear, doubt, negativity, self-righteousness, um, judgmentalism, you know, a whole list of negatives in the back of the mind going on. And we've got to learn, as Paul says in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, if there's anything that's excellent and worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. You've got to get your mind on straight. So, perhaps you're here this morning and you say to yourself, I'm, I'm, here I am again, I've fallen into the same old bad habits, the same old sins. I, I'm not worthy of it. Uh, I'm worthy only of the judgment of God. God will never give me the new birth. He'll never give me salvation. I'm not worthy of it. And, and, and Peter says, no, no. Remember, he says, therefore preparing your minds for action. And therefore, in verse 13, he's pointing you back to everything he's just said in First Peter 1. He said, where, where did your Christian life begin? Was there ever a moment you deserved the favor of God? No. Blessed be the God and Father of us of um, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day he looked down and said, you know, there's Neil Stewart. He's doing a jolly good job. I'm going to give him the new birth. No. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy caused you to be born again. The new birth came. It wasn't because you did anything. You didn't cause it. You didn't believe your way into the new birth. You didn't repent your way into the new birth. God caused it. Why? Because of His mercy. How? By bringing Easter morning into your heart. He caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. As Christ was raised from the grave, like lifting water up into a water tower and filling it with potential energy to flow down and into the houses of uh, a town, God lifted Christ up from the grave into heaven and filled Him with the potential energy of life to resurrect millions of souls all across the world throughout endless ages. Perhaps you think, I think because of my sin, I'll never get to heaven. I'll never, I'll never ever make it to heaven. And these fears are constantly infesting your mind. You think, oh, I'm, I'm going to fall. It all depends upon me, and I've got to keep the inheritance that God's given me, and therefore prepare your mind for action. What therefore? You've been born again, verse 4, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The inheritance doesn't change. What if I fail to keep a hold of it? It's not your hold on it, but it's hold on you, Peter says kept in heaven for you. It is kept in heaven for you, not by you, but by God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Or maybe you're, you know, life's been hard. You've come a bit of a misery guts, pressures of life. And Lord knows there's pressure. Inflation, you know, um, 
all of the costs and, 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 and grocery bills are rising, and, and you're fearful, and you know, you've got to pay for college and your children's education and all this stuff, and, and you're fearful, and, 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 and then there's the pressure of maybe um, raising the kids you have in your house, and it's just exhausting, or the pressures of life in uh, a hostile workplace where they demand you be vaccinated and demand this and that and the other, and wear your diversity pin and celebrate the, your LGBT colleague coming out, and all these pressures, and you think, oh, I, I just can't be joyful. And, and Peter says, oh, yes, you can, if you have right reason. In this salvation, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That's a wonderful thing. Every trial you face, various trials, all different sizes and shapes of trials. <coughs> Whatever, are you being tried this morning? You under pressure this morning, Christian? Are various trials coming into your life? Well, over every single one of them, they're stamped. I saw Gordon Ramsay cooking an omelet yesterday on YouTube. It was wonderful. I wish I could cook almost like that. But anyway, he finished it, and he, he, did, he did it on a grill, on a kind of a iron skillet on a barbecue grill. But he had in the coals, um, he's egocentric, he had in the coals this GR, this metal GR. And after the omelet was on the plate, he branded it with his initials just so you'd know he made it. Big pssss. And GR was right there. Well, on every trial that comes into your life, God has branded it with two words. If necessary, and for a little while. And you'll only panic, as I at times find myself panicking, if you forget those two words. You only lose, you know, you can only lose your joy under trial if you forget, if necessary, and for a little while. Right? Praise God. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why are you being tried? Because it's necessary. And don't worry, it's not going to last forever. But why am I being tried? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is doing to you what the refiner does to gold. He's purifying you. He's testing you. He's proving your genuineness. which is a good thing. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, am I even a real Christian? Like, I think that about myself. Um, not infrequent. If I think that, um, then I imagine you do too. Not about me, I hope, but maybe about yourself. And, and if you come to my house at the wrong time of day, you might think it about me as well. But, but, you know, and God sends trials so that in the midst of the trial, you respond by faith. You get your head on straight. You start thinking correctly. And it's a proof to you and to all around you that you're a tested, genuine Christian. He could leave you in, the, in the, the murky twilight of not knowing, but He sends trials to prove, to grow your faith and also to demonstrate your faith. 
so that when Christ returns, it'll bring praise and glory and honor, and so forth and so on. Therefore, because of all these things, preparing your mind for action. And this is not some new news to these people. This message of salvation, verse 10, has been preached and prophesied by by the gospel preachers throughout the whole Old Testament, and they knew they were serving you when they were doing it. It was the Spirit of Christ in them. Christ is the speaker in the Old Testament. It was the Spirit of Christ in the prophets, giving them old truths that would be true for each generation. And they knew they were serving you, Peter says, as they did. So you've got to be thoughtful. There is no way to live the Christian life. There is no way to beat the battle of pornography, lust, cowardice, compromise. Name a battle. There's no way to do that that bypasses the mind. If you want to live a way you've never lived before, you must come to think a way you've never thought before. It's one here. Be thoughtful. Secondly, be hopeful. Be hopeful. And notice the first point leads to the second point. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, that's a dependent clause, two of them actually, set your hope fully on the grace. You can only set your hope fully if your mind is prepared for action. That's what the Greek grammar is saying, and the English too. Set your hope. Now, there's no, no, no shock there. Hope is an important part of Christian life. Faith, hope, and love, right? The three virtues. Three spiritual virtues. But that's, you've got to realize how countercultural that is. In Paul's day, there were two main th- uh, philosophical schools the Epicureans, not mention them, and the Stoics. And the Stoics, they sat under the stoas, the porches, the colonnades in, in ancient Greece. But their teachings survived down through Marcus, Aurelius, and other men like that. They believed that life's chaotic, right? Um, the universe from our perspective, can be really hard at times. But they believed the universe was a machine and, and all worked together in, a, in, a, in, an, in an harmonious whole. And the best way to be a cog in the machine is not to stress out about who you are and what's happening to you, but just go with the flow, right? Don't get stressed out. Just live in the moment because this moment is the only moment you can live in. You can't live in the past, and you can't live in the future. You've got to live in the now. Carpe diem. Seize the day. And that's essentially their message. Don't get stressed out. Don't be too passionate. You know, stress a little less, love a little more, but don't get too stressed. And in their mindset, there were two enemies to that lifestyle. Nostalgia and hope. Nostalgia was an undue attachment to the past. Oh, the days were much better, you know, the Reagan days or whatever, or the Bush days or whatever, you know, even the Obama days, better than this day, you know, um, perhaps. Um, but, you know, it's like you live, you're stuck in the past. That's, a, that's an unwarranted distraction for living in the present. And um, the other day, the other distraction from living in the present was hope, right? The past is unrepeatable, and the future is unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so don't stress about it. Just live in the day. Don't wish away today longing for tomorrow, because it might be worse or better, but you don't know, right? 
And so looking back to the past, looking forward to the future, is a distraction in the Stoics' mindset to living in the present. And distraction's a bad thing. This morning I went to work this morning and I was sitting in my office and I sat down and there was this weird like clicking noise. Like let's see if we can do it. And it was kind of coming from over near my sofa. I first thought, is that a rat or a mouse? So I got up and went to look at it. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't study. I couldn't think about the sermon. Pulled the sofa out, nothing there. I, I went back, and it stopped. So I went back and sat down. And then I started again. I went and looked again. <laughs> it was driving me crazy. And it was making a definite noise, like just a little clicking noise. And this went on for like 15 minutes. I was losing my mind. And eventually I found this little bug on the floor that was jumping up and down and landing on the ground. It had a hard enough shell that it made a click when it landed on the ground, and it was very distracting. So I picked it, I didn't kill him, I put him outside, banished him. But it was distracting, right? And the Stoics would say that looking back to the past, looking forward, are distractions, live in the present. But notice what Peter says is completely different from that. You've got to look back to the past, what God has said in the past, you also got to look forward to hope, with hope, because the future is not uncertain. It is absolutely certain. Set your hope completely, fully, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, think about that. That's incredible. What is Jesus going to bring you when He comes? You might think to yourself, glory. That's true, he will. You might think, heaven. That's true, he will. You might think, bring me home. That's true, he will. You might think, um, he'll bring judgment. That's true, he will. But if you, if you only think of those things, you're set up, don't you see, of being worried. Well, what if I do badly in the judgment? What if... I don't deserve to be in the glory. And there's no what-ifs about it, of course. We don't, right? But Peter says, you've got to realize when Jesus comes, do you know what he's going to bring you? He's going to bring you grace. And grace is a wonderful thing because it's got nothing to do with what we deserve. When you're talking about what you deserve, you're stopped talking about grace. Grace is even better than undeserved mercy because you're, you're, you're even worse than that. It's not just that you don't deserve mercy. You do deserve wrath. And grace is God's habit of giving people who do deserve wrath what they don't deserve, which is His love. He gives them His love in the face, love that they don't deserve, despite the wrath that they do deserve. And Peter says, set your hope completely that grace. Every time you think about how unworthy you are, think about the grace, your worthy Jesus. He's, he's coming, Jesus says, with His arms full of presence. And those presents are full of grace. Back in Northern Ireland, 
I talk about Santa Claus, you know, he makes a list, checks it twice. If you're on the naughty list, he doesn't bring you presents, he brings you coal. Do you have that here? Do you have that? Do you, do you, but that's what we say in Northern Ireland. When you get coal, a bag of coal for your Christmas present. Thanks a lot, uh, you know. But um, Jesus comes, he doesn't have coal, he just has gifts, and those gifts are grace. That you cannot be desunned by a Savior who's coming with arms full of grace. And set your hope completely on that. Not what you have done, but what he's bringing. He's bringing grace. So, thoughtful, hopeful. Thirdly, moving quickly on, careful. Um, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So there's two motivational, there's two ways you can live your life. Peter says you can go the old way, the way you used to live before you were converted. And that's the way of ignorance and indulgence. And what drives your behavior is, oh, it'll feel so good. It'll feel so good. It'll tickle the body. It'll quench my thirst. It'll scratch my itch. It'll pleasure me, right? And it's all about me and my pleasure. And Paul says, sorry, Peter says, do not go that way. Do not be conformed. Do, do not, it's, it's the word used one other place in the New Testament. Remember in Romans 12, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not let your lusts squeeze you into a mold of behavior like a micromanaging father telling his son to go cut the grass, but it's not enough that the son cuts the grass. God do it dad's way. Two laps around the outside and then lines this way, not that way, this way. Every time the son departs from the, from the, from the, the standard of micromanager, dad, dad goes, no, no, not, not that way, this way, up and down, right? And there's micromanaging. You've got to cut the grass my way. And that's the way lusts function in our heart. You've got to do things my way. Satisfy yourself. Enjoy yourself. Pleasure yourself. And Peter says, no, there's another way. That's, that's the old way of ignorance and indulgence. Remember that you've been called out of that to holiness. Holiness is a separation from, a separation to. Separation from sin. Separation from a, a mindset that makes everything an equation about what you want. Separation from that, separation to God. It's a relational thing. It's not just doing the right thing, it's turning from sin, turning to God. Dedication. It's being conformed as obedient children, a child obeying his father be careful. It's so easy to be led astray back into the old ways of lust because it's there in your It's a habit of a lifetime. It's so easy when you're trying to make a new habit to slip back into the old one. And Peter says no. And that requires thought. A few months ago before I went on vacation, I was talking about the search page on uh, Instagram, which is not a safe place to be. There are some good things there, but there's a lot of bad things there as well. So, and, and 
a number of people come up to me afterwards and said, I, that really convicted me because I, I can spend hours on this just going through reels and, you know, not, a lot of them are not very edifying, right? And so why do you go, what, what, what happens? How do you end up doing something like that, right? Well, a thought comes into your mind, I am bored. I know, I'll go to Instagram and I'll flick through this, the, Insta, uh, the reels and, you know, for every 10 bad ones, there'll be one good one. And it's worth finding that one good one that's funny or interesting or whatever. And so I'm going to go there. And you start, and off you go. And you see, you're just thinking about... And even if you manage to avoid all the temptations for lust and everything else there, and you sift the gold out, is that the best way to spend your time? And the, the way you get your... A mind girded for action. Like I'm reading a book at the moment. I just finished it. Um, Joker One, which is about the, the Marines in Ramadi in Iraq back in 2004 when Kyle actually was down the road in Fallujah. It's really interesting. But, you know, when they're, when they're being ambushed by RPG-wielding um, fanatics, I don't think many of them are searching through their TikTok or their Instagram uh, memes, because they're in a battle. And the Christian, you make progress in the Christian life by learning to engage your mind in that moment and saying, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. I'm putting myself in a direction of life that's appealing to my, ig- I've got to turn off my brain, ignorant, and never deceive yourself. Agnostic sounds classy. The real word is ignoramus, Okay. <laughs> ignorant and indulgent. And you've got to think, I've been called to be like my father. Is this helping me be like my father? And that's the kind of mindset that pulls the Christian in the right direction. Be careful. Oiled broth is easy warmed, as they say in Northern Ireland. That doesn't make sense. Ask me afterwards. And then lastly, um, be fearful. And if you call on him who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, you said to yourself, that, that sounds contradictory. A moment ago, you said Jesus is coming with grace. And now you're saying the Father is coming with judgment, an impartial judgment. He doesn't have favorites. His, he's like the headmaster in the school whose son does the same final examination as the rest of the school. And if he feels it, he feels it, right? And that's a, a fearful thought. Now, you're thinking, but you said he's coming with grace. Yes, he is, right? The examination will be real at the last day. It's much stricter for me and Eric than for any of you here, apart from the other elders, because we will receive a stricter judgment being teachers, Lord have mercy. But it's going to be a real judgment. But if the headmaster's son fails his calculus exam, he doesn't become de-sunned because of that. The son, the headmaster's son, doesn't go into the calculus exam thinking, oh, you know, I could be cast into the orphanage if I fail this exam. And in the day of judgment, there'll be a real, full accounting, as Paul speaks about in, in, 1, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 3 where he speaks about no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. That's one of the reasons why God sends the fire of trials now to purify us and to prepare us for the final examination. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I'm not sure I know what all that means, but I know it means something, right? You'll not be lost, but you might suffer some loss. There's 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 an examination coming by your impartial Father. Now, how you do in that examination won't affect your sonship, but it will affect something. And of course, it's grace because take, the, you take, take Paul, the best of all the apostles, and you see Paul in the day of judgment being rewarded and heaped up with blessings. What's Paul going to say? Lord, I, I labored more abundantly than all the rest, but not I. It was thy grace in me. So even those who are higher up the food chain than we are, spiritually speaking, they will be humble and saying, praise God, it was, it was God's grace made me better. And those of us who are further down the line, we'll be saying, we, we will look at them, not with any envy or jealousy. It'll be like, you know, you're in the World Cup final and the cross comes across the, the goal and you go to kick it and you miss the ball and fall on your backside. And you think, that was not very successful. And as you're lying on the ground, you look over to the left and your teammate comes in behind you and your miss set the keeper going the wrong way, and your friend comes in from the side and just strokes the ball into the right corner, and the goal is scored, and the cup is won. You aren't angry he scored the goal. You're going, thank God he scored the goal, and that my miss somehow set him up to score the goal by wrong-footing the goalkeeper. And so, and I think in the day, judgment would be like that. When we see a, a, another person who brought more glory to Christ, we'll not be going, well, that's not fair. Why didn't I? We'll be thinking, Praise God that somebody scored the goal. Somebody was given the grace of God to do well in this matter. But Peter's argument is saying, knowing that day is coming, that should, that should wake you up and wise you up and sober you up to live now with a sense of holy trembling. The exam is coming. The big race day is coming. Therefore, get out and train now. Study now. Practice now. Live now in the way that you will wish you had lived when that day comes around. And notice the mindset, we'll end here, the mindset is not conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that judgment day is coming and you'll be punished if you do badly, but no, it's knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The thought should be is God the Son became a human being forever, took a human nature. He's a divine being, forgive me, but he became a human nature, right? Mind, body, soul, whole combined. Human nature forever, divine nature. And he died to redeem me. Sorry, could you say that again? No, have a good time. Um, <laughs> he died to redeem me. 
How can I live as if that is not the most important reality in all the universe today? That's the mindset. If Jesus died for me, won't I live for Him? It's like a little boy in school who was bullied, and he was called a daddy's boy, strangely, not being a mummy's boy, and they always daddy's boy, because he always say, daddy said I can't do that, sorry, no, I'm not going to watch that movie, because daddy says no. And the, boy, the bullies would say, why, is daddy going to hurt you? The boy said, no, it's not that my daddy's going to hurt me. I don't want to hurt my daddy. That's the mindset. Not that we can hurt God, you understand, but I don't, I don't want to grieve my father. He sent his son to die in my place. I, I don't want to grieve my son, my Savior, who died in my place. It's like the memory of all those good men who laid down their life for our liberty in Iraq, in Afghanistan, on the Normandy beaches. We surely shouldn't live as if their sacrifice doesn't matter. And so, looking back to Christ's sacrifice, looking forward to our Father's judgment, and thinking, I want my Father's smile, and I can't earn my way to that. Jesus, give me the grace that I might live a life that is full throttle for Your glory by the Spirit's strength, for the Father's smile, because Your sacrifice deserves that. Not for me, but for Thee, Lord Jesus. That's the mindset. And so, when you live in a world that is often hostile to you, profoundly so, the only way you can make your way from whence to whither safely is to be thoughtful, to be hopeful, to be careful, and to be fearful. Because life, eternal life, is a serious business. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and its truth. We pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will draw near to us and that you will bless us and help us, O God. Help me help the people to live now as we will one day wish we had lived when we come to die. We offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.